ministry here at the very last and whenever he gets shipped off to Rome and and uh, but before that we're still dealing with him here in in uh, um, Jerusalem and then um, we know that in chapter 23 that we had looked at where the Pharisees and the Sadducees the whole Sanhedrin court and all of the the uh, fundamental Jews at that time were uh, getting ready to kill him, and and uh, then he had mentioned to them that he was a Roman citizen, and that had kind of stopped things, and 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 uh, so they had him in jail, and and then while he was there in jail, there was a group of guys that said, "We're not going to rest until we, uh, uh, you know what? Have we done twenty three yet? Did we do chapter twenty three? Yeah." Yeah, they were going to kill him, and, and so I, I get to study, and then I forget what I've preached. I should probably go back and date those some sometime, right? But anyway, they uh, were had made a vow that they were going to kill him, and there was 40 of these, more than 40 of these men that had said that, and and then we had seen that, that um, Paul's nephew had heard about it, and so <laughs> this is interesting that... Um, there's certain things that God just doesn't give us, so we, we don't have any idea exactly, but it seems to me like if you study out the the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees is that uh, those that were a member of that court were had to have been married. And so at some point in time, Paul must have been married, and I don't know what happened to his wife, whether, you know, I... I just kind of curious, you know, whether she died or what had happened, but we do know that he had family there in Jerusalem, and while he's there in jail and being held and, and not knowing what to do with him yet because they found out he's a Roman citizen, that his nephew heard about this and, and so then went to the, uh, the, the lead centurion and told him, hey, there's a group of guys that are, that are planning on killing him, and and so this uh, centurion then, the chief captain, had uh, listened to this privately. And so then it tells us there towards the end of chapter 23, around 23, that uh, he said, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea and horsemen threescore and ten and spearmen 200 and at the third hour of the night. So about 470 men he lined up to uh, uh, take uh, Paul and, and get him out of town and... and uh, uh, getting over to uh, <clears throat> moving him out of, of Jerusalem at this time. And so uh, they did so, and it tells us that they had uh, taken him over in chapter or verse 31, that they had taken him by night to Antipatris, and this was a city that was 39 miles on uh, further away from uh, Jerusalem, and it was only 24 miles from Caesarea where they were headed to and so that's where they needed to get to and and so it tells us in verse 31 that they took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris and on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle so they figured that uh, and, and think about I, I there's some of these things my mind runs through that, that this is an amazing thing because they they took off at night and they rode all night and into the next day but uh, they're they're doing this on chariots and horses, and they they went 39 miles in in a few hours, and so this wasn't some 
nice little horseback stroll out uh, checking the, uh, uh, the uh, landscape, but this was something pretty hard ridden to, I don't know anybody here ever ridden a horse much, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've ridden a horse all day long at, at times, and, and I don't think I've ever gotten close to 39 miles, but they uh, went overnight, and they rode that 39 miles, and they figured that they were far enough away then from Jerusalem that they were safe, and so that's when they split up. And the horsemen went ahead and took Paul the next 24 miles on into Caesarea. And uh, says that and in verse 33, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and when he understood he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. And so then it tells us, and after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who was informed the governor against Paul. So now here we have that five days later here in Caesarea that these guys had finally gotten here. And, and I, I, I'm sorry, but... This just seems to be, this, this whole escapade that we see take place in chapter 4 seems to be uh, repeated in, in our very House of Representatives right now trying to impeach our president. It almost seems like the same circus going on today that went on then, and, and the accusations that are being made, and the, and the hypocrisy, and, and look, I'm, I'm not a you know, going to stand here and, and tout all the great things of Trump. You know, I think, I still think President Trump needs to trust Christ as a Savior. But, you know, I, but uh, the circus court that it is today and, and our politicians have, have left us all wanting. And, well, here it, it's not any different, and we're going to see this. And, and so in verses 1 through 9, we're going to see this accusation that's made uh, towards Paul. And so the first thing that they do is they go out and they get their high-priced lawyer. That's exactly who Tertullus is. He, he's their high-dollar lawyer, the orator. He, he's, he's one that's paid to speak in front of the courts, and, and so he, he's, a, a, you know, he, he's the, the, the slick tongue that, that they uh, need to use. And so here he is introduced in verse 1, and, and when he was called for, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Now, here's the slick tongue. He's addressing himself to the governor, to Felix. And so, and, and the first thing that, as he's going to accuse Paul, that seeing that by thee and, and oh, Governor Felix, that, that we have enjoyed this great quietness in our in our society, and that the very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always, and, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Oh, he's he pretty slick in, 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 in how he's talking, and, you know, and, and, and I, as I was listening to this, and, and then he goes on in verse 4, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee. I, I don't want to continue to detain thee, because you have such a busy schedule, but I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency, of your kindness and your generosity, a few words. You know, I, I think, well, I, I know that uh, uh, I always get a, 
I always I, I read this verse uh, years ago in Psalm 12, and I sometimes forget the address, but I'll never forget what he says here. But um, you ever been around someone that constantly flatters you, and you kind of step back and you think, what do they want? You know, you just get a little nervous about when it's just an overflowing and just constant and, and, and well, and I just think it, it, usually it's showing us that there, there's some kind of a motive there. And Psalm 12 and verse 3, I always like this, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Always, I don't know, I'm just, I guess I'm kind of that ornery kind of guy. I just like to see those characters walk around with no tongue and no lips, you know, so yeah, I know what you did, you know, and but uh, and and even even Solomon gave us warning of this over in in uh, uh, Proverbs in in numerous places. But look in Proverbs twenty six, if you would, and and in verse eight, and it says, or Proverbs twenty six and verse twenty eight, a lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Well, obviously, if you're lying against someone, you're hating that person that you're lying against. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. You know, there, there, there are times where we need to encourage one another. I mean, we need, to, we need to do that. But false flattery is an evil and wicked thing because all you're doing is, is appealing to that person's pride. And, and you're trying to appeal to that and and look, we all have enough trouble with our pride, and we sure don't need that. Well, Hero Tertullus knew exactly how to do this and how to win over Felix and trying to do so and winning over his decisions that he might uh, have to make here. And so that's what we're seeing in those first verses is that slick tongue that he has. But then we see the fabricated lies. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. He is a pest. And, and, and more than that, he's a plague and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. I mean, everywhere he goes, he's, he's, a, he, he's planning sedition and, 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 and uh, trying to move people into pulling away from the Roman Empire, and, and he's a threat against everybody in the government. I mean, that's what he's saying. And so, uh, and saying that he's a uh, among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And then he goes on, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Look, look, governor, we, we weren't doing anything wrong here, and, and all we're doing is, is we're just holding this man guilty because He's a plague, and, and he's been uh, 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 a mover of sedition, and he's a ringleader of this small sect that, uh, of these Nazarenes, and, and, and he's profaning the temple, and, and, and we would have judged him according to our laws and, and done so, but the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. And so, there, and so here we are, and commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And then we see also, as usual, we have the, the false accusers that they have uh, paid to come along, and the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. So now we see, here, here, is the, here are the accusers, and they're standing in this court, and 
in front of Felix, and and uh, uh, you, you know when when you uh, uh, think about Felix too, don't don't think of him finally, and think of him as as a as a wonderful man because uh, Felix wasn't a very nice guy, and and Felix actually was a, a, a very bloody man, and and was one that was very licentious in his activities, and and more or less did whatever it was that he wanted to do, and. And he bought and paid for those that might uh, report him, and 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 he even had a uh, he even had a, a high priest at one time that confronted him, and he had him killed. I mean, Felix is not uh, a man of sterling character, and so here they are; they are uh, playing towards his pride, and and all these false accusers are coming in front of him, and you know, as Paul and. And, and as we even think about our own lives today and walking in this world, that and it is evil, and it is the devil's world, and, and there are accusations that are made. And, you know, there are times where you just, you, you really, you just stop and say, is, is this really worth it? Do I want to keep this fight up? Do I still want to do the right thing? And, and, and you look at it and you think, I, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel here. And Paul could have done the same thing. I mean, he could have looked at this and said, man, all these Jews are against me. The very Sanhedrin court is against me. And, and then I look at Felix's life, and he's an ungodly reprobate that, you know, I, I don't really have a chance here at all. He, I mean, he could have done that, gave up, and, and been done. But we see that he doesn't do that. And we see what drives him in, in, in uh, the next few verses as he gives us his rebuttal in verses 10 through 21. Then Paul, after that, the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Look, Felix, I know that you've been a governor here for now quite some time. And, and you know, I, I find it interesting you study the history, and Felix had at one time been a slave, and had gotten out of slavery, bought himself out of slavery, I'm sure, and, and, and through that had risen up through the ranks and, and had, had done quite well in the world standards and become a governor uh, of, of that providence and, and so, province. And, and, so, and now he'd been there for, you know, seven or eight years in that one province. They said he had also been a leader before that for a number of years. So Saul, or Paul knew who he was, and so he said, Look, I know that you've been a judge now for a number of years, and so, hey, I'm cheerfully going to answer for myself. And so then he goes on, because that thou mayest understand that you're, but there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. Do you understand, Governor, that all these things that they're accusing me of, that I've only been in Jerusalem for 12 days, and so they're making all these accusations against me, and how can a guy get all of that done in 12 days, first of all? And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. You know, I, I find this, some of these thoughts are interesting as you, as you think about this. You, you never see Paul, even though he disagreed with what they were doing, you, you never saw him dishonor who they were and, and even their religion. I mean, he, he had been a zealot for this very religion. He had been a, 
zealot for the same cause that they were. He knew their mindset, and he knew where they were at. And, and there were many times where he even said that, look, I did these, I, the things that I did in persecuting Christians, I did it out of a zealousness for God, thinking I was doing the right thing. And, and so he really had a heart for these Jews. And, and so even here, when, when he would go in and, and talk to those Jews and talk to them, he, he was always honorable in how he did so. And we know that he even uh, uh, walked and practiced some of those very things when he went into the temple and, and talked to the Jews. And, and so I think we also need to do that too. I think we, we, we need to be respectful. We don't, we don't need to go in and be, be caustic in, in how we uh, uh, approach someone. You're not going to win someone by doing that. And so here we see that, that Paul did so. And, but he said, here, I, I, I went into those temples and they can't prove anything these things that they're saying. But this I do confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Oh, I do admit that the things that they say I'm heretical on, I want you to know that I am worshiping the God of the very law and prophets that they say that I'm heretical against. And I'm, and I'm not being heretical, but I am worshiping exactly what God has shown us in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. And then he says, not only that, but and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Remember back when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he, he got them to fighting with each other because he said that he believed in the resurrection of the dead and Pharisees believe that, Sadducees don't. They got in a big fight and, and, and so now he's saying, look, I, I believe what the Pharisees already are saying that they believe. Now, what I believe is what the Old Testament is showing us and, and here they're saying that I'm, that I'm heretical for this. And they're not even allowing me to believe what they believe. That's what he's saying. But then here's the thing that motivates him. And herein do I exercise myself. And I make an, and, and this idea of exercise is, is, is uh, uh, used in a way that, that maybe not emphatic, but, but it has the idea of exercising to endeavor to make every effort to do everything that you can. So here he's saying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You know, we, what, what is that saying? That the softest pillow is a good conscience and how, how we need to have that kind of a conscience. I, I mean, I, you know, for time, I'm not going to go there, but Acts 23 in verse 1, I'll go to that one. And Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I went through that a few weeks ago about how do we have a good conscience, and we ought to have a good conscience. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians 1 in verse 12, and 1 Timothy 1 in verse 19, and Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, talking about a good conscience and how every one of us as a believer that we need to have a good conscience. And, you know, when, when the trials come, and, and, and reality was talking about that, the trials that's going on in our life, I'm wearing you down. Look, everybody sitting here 
could raise their hand and give a testimony of a trial that they have either, they're either entering into it, they're in it, or they're just coming out of it. And, and every one of us can do that. And, and, the, and, the, and what we need to understand with this is that we always need as believers then to, to exercise ourselves, to make every effort to have a conscience void of offense toward God, but also and toward men, and toward men all the time. We need to try to do everything that we can to make sure that we're not the problem. We need to make sure that we are what we need to be. And, and a definition of, a, of the conscience is that inner faculty that knows with our spirit and approves when we do right and accuses us when we do wrong. And, and that is what we have. And, and let, us, let us have a conscience where, where God is using that to, to show us that we are doing what's right. And that's why I always have to tell myself, right is always right. And, and right is defined by what Scripture says. And we do right according to what God's Word says, and, and we can be void of offense. And so here he's, he's telling that governor, he's saying, look, I'm just trying to live in a way that, is, that I'm not offending God, and I don't want to offend men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. And so I came back, and I, and I wanted to talk to my fellow men, and I wanted to go into the temple and, and be able to worship our God. And whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. So, and, and here, he, he, remember, they had said that, that he had gone in to profane the temple. And he said, I was purified in the temple. And neither with multitude nor with tumult. And I didn't bring a group in that, that was trying to overthrow anything and, and, and cause problems. And we ought to have been uh, here before thee and object if they had ought against me. And if, there were, and if that really was the case, then those Jews that saw me doing that, where are they? Where are they today? You, you see, I mean, they're, they're making these false accusations just like they did against Jesus. And and here he's saying, where are these accusers that these guys weren't there? They didn't see this. They're, they're making these things up. Where are the people that actually saw this happen? Or else, and, and so, uh, <clears throat> or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me, while well, I stood before the council. And then he said, except it be for this one voice, that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. The only thing that they can accuse me of is that I said that I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so here we see his, his uh, uh, rebuttal to them, but then we also see his character here because look at this. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. All right, so well, I need to call my soldier, and I'll call Lysias. I'll bring him from Jerusalem. He's going to come over, and, and uh, this is going to take a while, but we're going to uh, get him to come, and, and then we're going to listen to what he has to tell me, and so I want to hear the matter from him. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So he said, look, I want Paul to be safe, but let him, let him meander around, talk to whoever, 
don't forbid anyone from seeing him. He can talk and, and he has his freedom. But during that time, you can see that these things were really bothering Felix. And, and he had a motivation. We'll see this right at the very last of this. But he wanted to hear some more about this. And so, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, there's a story there too. When, when you read the I, I, when, when you read about the, histori- the historians that wrote about these things too, about who these people were, first of all, she was already married to a king. And, and, but I guess she was beautiful. And so Felix saw her and smoozed her along the way and talked her out of, uh, of divorcing or leaving her husband, who was a king, and marrying him. And so breaking all the walls that they had at the time. And so she leaves her husband, the king, and then turns around and marries Felix. And something else that's interesting, to tell you the evil of, uh, of lineage of this woman, she was the third daughter of Herod, King Herod, who had killed all the babies and, and then had died because he exalted himself above God and then he, he was actually eaten from the inside out by the worms and ended up dying. That was her dad. So quite a legacy, you know, and she was living right up to dear old daddy's example. And so she marries him, and, and so here they are. I mean, you, you know, you would at least hope that when you went in front of a court and you're talking to a judge, you would really hope that this guy has some kind of character, good character. Well, this guy was a character, all right, and his wife, too, and they were a mess. But here we see the character of, of Paul. And he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season. I will call for thee. You know, typical response of many in the world. And really a sad response because can you imagine at that moment in time, even with all of his sordid past, that if he humbly would have come to God and humbly cried out to Christ to forgive him of his sins and, 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 and give him new life and, and change his life. And I mean, God would have changed his life, given him a new life and and if he'd have just trusted Christ as a Savior, he had the opportunity. Right there, even the wickedness of this man, God gave him an opportunity. I, I find that just that not only is it the character of Paul to stand there and preach the gospel to the guy that could tell him, I'm going to turn you over to the Jews, and he still preaches the truth to him. Then we also see the character of Felix. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might loose him, wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Kept bringing him back, not so much to listen to the gospel message, but hoping that he'd wear Paul down or wear his friends down to where finally one of them would, you know, slip him a little cash and then he'd be happy to let him go. But the character of Paul obviously wouldn't allow that. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So two years later, Festus comes in to take over as governor for Felix in that province. And so, and in doing so, Felix didn't 
feel kind enough to let Paul go. He just leaves him there, and now Festus, you're going to have to take care of it. So, typical politician too, right? Let's just kick the can down the road, and we'll let somebody else deal with it. But I just find this amazing how, how we're seeing the, the character of Paul being tested over and over and over, and, and God still uh, strengthening him and, and uh, using him to do what's right. Right is right. And when we do that, we always have God on our side to help us, to guide us, to empower us, to meet the needs that we have. And so let's, let's live that way. When our character is tested, when we're accused by those around us, we need to make sure that what our goal is is we're going to exercise ourselves as, as much as possible to have a, a conscience always void of offense toward God and toward men. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Pray your blessings upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Brother Dan, we'll be praying for you guys as you travel.